following audio is a Sunday sermon from Red Church in Blackburn, Australia. For more information about the church and its ministry, please go to www.redchurch.org.au. Well, I'm Mark, if I haven't met you, and we're in, it's not a series, it's a two-week extended sermon that goes for two weeks with a break in between, and uh, a break called The Week. And um, did you enjoy that? I hope you enjoyed the week. And uh, we looked last week at this concept of what is the great challenge before the church at this time in history. Throughout history, God has renewed his people and there seems to be this cycle where there's a fire that comes to the church at different times. When the Holy Spirit comes amongst people and God comes and renews his people. But then that heat begins to simmer down. And in the book of Revelations, one church is described as being lukewarm. This sense that that fire begins to peter out. But again, God comes and renews us again. And he does this in a particular way which we looked at last week, which is this idea of God using small groups of faithful people. The biblical language for this is remnants. And remnants are a small group. They are not defined by one particular class of people. What defines them is people who are hungry for God. doesn't matter what background, what age. They come together and they hunger for God to move. In the church, other people who are just going along with the motion, who are just doing it because they've gotten to a habit, described here as nominal Christians. A nominal Christian is someone who says, I'm a Christian. They claim it in the name but they don't necessarily live it. And remnants come and remind them through modeling something, a deeper walk with God, that God wants all of our lives. And as he just want all of our lives, he wants to see the world worship him and worship Christ. So the description we used last week was one that the remnant, in a sporting analogy, is like the players on the field. Nominal Christians are like the crowd watching the game from the comfort of the stadium seats. They're invested, but they're not on the field putting their bodies on the line. And then you've got the wider world where people don't know the game's being played. And throughout history, this is how God has changed the church and brought it back to its first love. And what's really interesting is, as I just said, there's not any qualifications that you need to be in the remnant, to be part of what God is doing, to be part of his true church. When you look at scripture, you had both Jews and Gentiles who were part of the church. You had men and women. You had people who were Roman officials, and you had people who were slaves, from every background, people who had lived very religious lives, people who had lived very irreligious lives, people who were at the heights of cultural influence, people who were at the, the depths of social scorn, all come into the church encountering Jesus and being changed. But what's really interesting, and I want to talk about this tonight, because if you're going to build a remnant, if God's going to build a remnant, he needs a particular kind of person. And the one kind of person that he needs 
is specified in a book which Paul the Apostle writes to a young leader in the church called Timothy. And he says this, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And what we have here, it seems really simple, but actually we have here outlined God's plan to renew the church, spread the message of Jesus to the ends of the world. First of all, Paul is saying, you've seen me do it. You've seen me do it. What's he seen him do? He's seen him live out the way of Jesus. Paul encountered Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, on a road in Syria and was profoundly transformed. The other apostles spent time with Jesus in his earthly ministry for three years and then for 40 days after Jesus was resurrected and Jesus taught them the ways of the kingdom of God. That God was now breaking into the world and doing something that was changing the direction of the world and history was going to move to God's ends. So that's teaching of how to follow God, you must give that to who? Doesn't matter what background, male, female, race, job, influence, social status, none of that matters. Only one thing matters here. Reliable people. It's not very flashy, but it's essential. Because reliable people will be able to take the message and pass and teach it on to others. So what I raised last week is, throughout history, there's been people who have been reliable and unreliable. That's in every age. But we're at a unique, particular, historical moment that then challenges the church, and it's described by Tim Keller in this way. A truth allergic experience-addicted populace wants transformation. So people want God to change the world. They want the bad stuff to go away. They want to live lives in which God is infusing us, but doesn't want the loss of freedom and control associated with submitting to authority within a committed community. We want community, but we don't want to commit. We want transformation, but we don't want truth. And so this confronts the church, and this is what we looked at last week, and this is one of the great challenges for the church at the moment. Now I've realized being in ministry, one of the first things I ever learned, I wasn't even a youth pastor, I was a youth intern many, many moons ago. And I went to a training in Blackburn South years and years ago. And one of the first speeches at that, or teachings at that training was, when you are doing ministry and discipleship, you need to look for a particular kind of person. These people, they summed up as faithful, available, and teachable, with an acronym FAT, rather impolite. But you look throughout history, God has used those kinds of people, different kinds of people, but those core elements are always there. But as I've gone in ministry and seen how the culture has changed, how we've become more emotionally driven and emotionally fragile, as the culture increasingly sees Christianity as something strange, 
I really wanted to add another element to this. Resilience. Added that to the anacronym on the board. Wasn't good. Some people worked that out. But as the team, we were talking about this and throwing this around, Sarah came up with something far more appropriate. Not perfect. But better than what I came up with. Fathers, if you come up with one better, let us know. We always want improvement. But fathers are the kinds of people that God uses to create remnants. They're faithful. Available. Teachable. Humble. They're eager, not in a sense of, oh yes, I've got to be part of everything, but an eagerness that comes from being transformed by Christ. Resilient, not just because they're still-minded, but resilience that comes that all that matters in this world is Christ. And submitted. Not someone who just follows people blindly, but is submitted to Christ's authority and submit themselves to people who are submitted to Christ's authority. These are the kinds of human foundations at which remnants come. And they're not human, they've been transformed by God's Spirit. But this is the kinds of people God is looking for. So to explore this more, I'm going to get you to turn to, this Bible's in front of you, I'm going to read it out, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is a book written to a church in the early church. It's teaching around the kinds of people that God uses. It's got some really interesting language in it. I'm going to take it apart, but we'll just read it first. We're just going to read the first sort of few verses, first 10 verses. It says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts, your hearts, that seat of Thought, desire, emotions, your heart drives you. Set that on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, your thoughts, not on earthly things. Now, misreading this, you could read this and get the sense that the world here doesn't matter. This is encouraging you to just enter into some sort of ethereal life. Are you coming to the barbecue? No. My mind is set on heavenly things. But actually, this is something which orientates us and sets us to flourish and operate correctly in this world according to how God has set out the world. Verse 3. For you died. If you're a Christian, you've died. Your old self was left at the foot of the cross. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Something's happened to you the world cannot fully see and fully understand. When Christ, who is your life, appears. So now it's not our life. It's actually Christ is our life. And at the end of the age, when he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So if you're a believer, that's where things are trending towards, the end of the age where God appears in glory and who you really are is revealed. So this language around earthly and heavenly isn't just about things. 
What this is about is people with, you know, harps on clouds, little babies with wings. What this is about is there is part of you which Christ has transformed and you can't even properly see it yet. So you'll fall into a trap of measuring your life through the metrics of this world, through the earthly perspective. So verse 5, therefore, and this is only now that that reality and truth has been built. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So again, this is not trees. This is the part of us which has now died. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And it's coming because the world needs to have these things wiped out. These are the things that create evil and injustice in the world. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. Its practices. And have put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. To explain this, I turn to the incredible world of keynote graphics. Thank you. Thank you very much. And created for you an image of the universe from a biblical perspective. When we have, in Genesis, we have God creating the world. And when scripture, you've got to understand, when it talks about heaven... It's not just talking about the place in which we go when we die, again, with the clouds and the little babies with wings. It's a much bigger concept in Scripture. Heaven is actually where God is and where His will is done. God is King in heaven. And really interesting, if you look at Scripture, if you look at a psalm like Psalm 82, if you look at the beginning of Job, you encounter that in heaven there's actually a heavenly council. Really interesting. Like God's government. So it's not just God up there by himself like, hey, what's happening? It's like there's a whole bunch of stuff happening up there. And there's angels. The Elohim. And so God has this heavenly council who he delegates things to. Now that's a whole different sermon. If I had more time, we'd go into that. But what you see is the model of heaven that's operating in scriptures, in the heavenlies, is God as king, everything's where it's meant to be, and God has this heavenly council which is delegating and operating in the world. And at the end of scripture, we see in the book of Revelations, this heavenly choir, this heavenly host praising God. And so heaven is the place where God is worshipped fully and served faithfully. Satan falls from heaven when as part of this heavenly council of these beings, he rebels against God. So heaven is that. When God creates the world in Eden, this is mirrored. He creates humans as stewards. Shoma is the word in the Hebrew. And in Eden, in the book of Genesis, when God creates the world, this garden, God is king in that place. And he creates humans, Adam and Eve, to be like heavenly counsel in in an earthly sense. They're called to worship him. They're called to serve him. He delegates them power in the world. 
to cultivate the world. And he gets them to go out into the world. He says, go forth and multiply and to take ground for God. Not taking grounds like some colonialist or conquistador, but taking ground by cultivating it, worshipping God, going out into the world and taking his name into the world. And it's this mirroring which is undone when humans sin. When the fall happens, humans choose for God not to be king. Adam and Eve try and have a coup where they follow the serpent's question. And they now want to be gods. They want to rise above their station. And so this reality that you were created in the image of God is also held against the reality that we as humans have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But on the cross, Jesus overcomes that sin. He dies paying the price for us breaking the world, for our sin, for our rejection of his reign and rule. And Jesus rises from the tomb, pointing to the fact that God will still have his way. And at the end of the age, the world is where heaven and earth come together. And we see this in the end of Revelation, where the new Jerusalem comes from the heavens. Heaven and earth are reunited. And humans again worship and sing God's praises. The world is as it's meant to be. This is where things are going. This is your true identity, even if you don't feel it, is what Colossians is saying. So in this place, you see in the book of Genesis, a number of things are given to humans as ways of sacred patterns of worship. Yes, we just worship. We just sang. The piano was played. We sang and we worship God, and that is worship. But the book of Romans says that their lives are to be given as worship, your bodies as living sacrifices. And in Genesis, we see God give instruction and obedience is asked of humans. He says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead, eat of the tree of life. Time. After the seventh day, God rests and has Sabbath. So we see this ordering of time where time is sacred. We see God give people this rule to go into the world and have work and responsibility these things are good. Humans are tasked with a vocation. And this is sacred and this is worship. They're told to go forth and multiply, to have children, to procreate, to go into the world. This is an act of spiritual worship. Adam and Eve are created. The first human community, they will have children because God has asked them to go forth and multiply. And we're called to step into relationships And I use the word fellowship here because it means so much more than just community. Fellowship is community lived under the lordship of God where God's spirit flows through it. He gives them a purpose and a plan. They are called to be his image bearers in the world. And so these things we see in scripture in Genesis given to humanity. But we see when Jesus dies on the cross 
they're actually given back. But we live in a time where that trajectory that we see in the fall in the garden actually is rooted in our ideology as a culture. Well, we don't live where we see a world where we see these things as sacred. We live in a secular world, and a secular ultimately means that nothing is sacred. Nothing matters. And what's really weird, this weird double thing happens when you say none of this stuff matters. First of all, you treat it like rubbish because it doesn't matter. But secondly, you try and get as much meaning out of it as possible. Work, you know, I just work to live. You know, work's nothing. This job's boring. But I wish it was meaningful. I wish I had a proper job which just made me feel alive. So we either become completely passive and slack or we work ourselves to the bone. Time, there's this sense where we desperately churn through time, downloading endless series, looking at our phones, the, the, the new iOS update now tells you how long you spend on your phone. Who's been horrified when they get their little update? But then there's this desperate sense that we wish to rest well. Procreation sex means nothing in our world. We throw it away. It's meaningless, just some exchange. But yet our culture overloads and sees it as absolute meaning and you can't even talk about it. No one mentioned it. Shh, Christians don't mention it. Why? Because... It's actually so central because we're trying to squeeze out of transcendence in a secular world because a a secular world says nothing is transcendent. So we're going to find transcendence in relationships. We're going to find transcendence in what's my purpose? We're going to find transcendence in we we don't want to have anyone tell us what to do. We don't want instruction and obedience. No one tell us what to do. We're individuals, yet then we're all looking up lifestyle blogs on what to do. So these things in our world are just going out into space, disconnected. And the sad thing is that people desperately want to follow God, but this is what our inner worlds can look like in a secular world. And what's really interesting is that if we look at verse 5 of Colossians 3, It goes through some of these things and what it looks like when these things run out into extremes and it labels them as idolatry. When things aren't rooted in the sacredness of God, they trend towards idolatry. Work means nothing, but I end up just spending all my hours working and my identity is in my job. I want to be uncommitted to people and I want to do what I want to do, but I spend half my time trying to impress people. Because I actually want them to love me. I'm totally commitment phobic. I don't want autonomy. But someone just tell me what to do. So we have this reality and how this plays out is that someone can say, when I talk about where history is going, that heaven and earth will be reunited. That God is going to wipe every tear. That justice will come. That God's name will be glorified. And we can hear that as Christians and say, I'm in. Yep, I want that. I'm going to sing the song. When the worship chorus comes up after the sermon, let's sing our hearts out and get on our knees. But actually, the patterns of worship are what you walk out. 
And so we can say with our mouth, yes, we want heaven and earth filled with his presence. But where we're really heading to, our, actions, our, our words may say that, but our actions, which are our patterns of worship, actually point us towards the real value in our culture, what it values, which is individual pleasure, freedom, and autonomy. This, sadly, is the story of so many Christians in the West. Good people with good intentions who want God, but are being let down by the patterns of worship and how they're walking this out in our lives. And we've been told, and often even educated in church, just more sermons, more books, more podcasts, more information, more nice little Instagram posts from Bible.com that you can put on your feed, and it's all good. But when we don't walk it out, as Romans tells us to, where the whole of our lives is living worship, we end up becoming that. And at some point, the cognitive dissonance between the two means that people walk away from faith. Paul says to Timothy that people walk away from faith, even in the early church. And he says when they do, the language he uses is very visceral. And he says what they're doing is they're stabbing themselves or piercing themselves with grief. And some of the grief people feel around their faith is actually not around their faith. Some of the disconnect between what we read of in Scripture and hear preached is actually not a disconnect between actually what God wants to do. It's actually with this model. And so we have to set our patterns of life so that they head towards where everything is heading. We need to set our patterns and walk it out and align our beliefs with our actions. This is absolutely essential to the creating of a remnant. And so, it doesn't matter where you are on these things, it doesn't matter if you're sitting here and you're like, man, you got me, I'm just working my butt off and I'm finding my identity in work. What matters is, if you want to move that back towards bringing into a sacred pattern, all right, God, take it. I want to give this to you. You might be a complete people pleaser, addicted to what everyone thinks of you. You might be here actually just completely isolated. Wherever you are with relationships and fellowship, what matters is that you're determined and eager to return that to a sacred pattern of worship. So what faith then becomes when we walk these things out and what worship does, and we have to see what worship is, is actually something we repeatedly do to align our hearts again with where God wants to take us. And it's interesting, all of these things do something. When we walk towards them all, they build faithfulness in us. They build faithfulness in us. So that means God is going to allow some of these things to still be temptations for some people in this room. You're going to face the temptation to run from work or lose yourself in work. You're going to find yourself tempted. And God's going to allow that for a time because what he wants to do is build faithfulness in you. 
And it's the victory of small wins as you build yourself into a person who is reliable. And we've been so taught that we have to feel good and that it's going to feel good when we push into some of these patterns and they don't feel good straight away. We think that something's going wrong, but that's exactly what it's meant to be. No one goes to the gym and expects it to feel good. This is the exact same principle at play. So what I want to do is I want to give you five biblical ways then of taking ground and creating patterns in your life that actually move you towards embracing the new creation that you are in Christ. And they're all really simple. The first one is this. Don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Paul says to Timothy, join with me in suffering. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. People in the military understand that they're under a different chain of command. They understand that they've served, signed up to serve. They're following a different way. And so Paul deliberately uses this metaphor to communicate to Timothy as a young Christian who is stepping into influence, you need to not think of yourself as a civilian. Some of us here are trying to do faith and we think of ourselves as civilians. Hugh Mackay, in his book, A Savant Australia, where tells the story of being at a dinner party in Sydney with a very intelligent woman who for two and a half hours or something speaks to him about her tiles and he says this is what Australia's become where we can just talk about these things which ultimately don't matter for hours and hours on end now there's nothing wrong with tiles but you live in a world which is going to fill your lives with opportunities to lose yourself in civilian matters you're a soldier of Christ When you see yourself as a soldier, you start to think differently about the world and what God is doing. It changes your identity and God's called you into his army. The second one is really key. Stop. What the heck are you talking about? In Genesis 39, there is the story of Joseph. Joseph has been taken to Egypt He's an Israelite. He's been called to work in the house of an Egyptian official called Potiphar. Now, it says a couple of things. One, one day, Joseph is at Potiphar's house. Potiphar isn't there. No one else is at the house except Potiphar's wife. And that's another detail. It says, Joseph was a bit of a spunk. And... Home alone with Potiphar's wife, Joseph, bit of a spunk, is not a good situation. One day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She, Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and this is the point, point number two, and ran out of the house. This is not super spiritual. This isn't some lecture divina where you meditate on scripture for half an hour and repeat phrases that you love from the word. 
This is not complex. This is if there is something that you're engaging in that is not reflective of the sacred patterns, which is actually pushing them out, which scripture says is wrong, that is going to have a corrosive and toxic effect on your faith and connect you actually with what the enemy wants to do. So it's real simple. Leg it. Run. Get out of there. Stop it. Take an inventory. And for this one, I don't even have to really outline it. Because the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit brings conviction. So the Holy Spirit's going to tell some people in this room, there's some stuff that actually God wants you to stop. And instead, point three, pursue holy patterns. Again, Paul says to Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth, and instead, you leg it, but you don't just leg it and run off and just keep running like Forrest Gump. What you do is you then pursue something. So it's not just running away, it's running. Yeah, you've got to keep on running, but now you're actually pursuing something. And what are you pursuing? You're running from evil desires which are actually not pointed to where God wants you to go, but it's pointed out here, and now you run for the prize. And so you pursue righteousness, faith. It's got life there, which means love and peace. So what are the patterns which you now, after putting down some things, you now have to pursue? And again, these don't have to be complex. Pursuing his word, Pursuing discipleship, pursuing worship, pursuing someone to speak into your life, pursuing someone to encourage, pursuing giving money to the poor, pursuing interceding and praying for the lost. Number four, be consistent. Be consistent. Hebrews says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Unswervingly, some of us are swerving. Some of us are doing good things. And I said last week that where we are now in the Australian church is that average attendance is now once every six weeks. Now, the reason I just say that is that's fine, but we're never going to see a move of God if that's the norm now. Now, I don't believe that God's not going to move. I actually believe that God's going to move. But you are not going to have a faith that kicks through when we just approach this, like I said last week, like Uber Eats. That actually, one of the great challenges we have in this church is lots of people want to get into discipleship groups and we want to start lots of discipleship groups, but we have to end lots of discipleship groups because they actually become completely unfeasible because there are some groups we've had literally 13 people in them and on average they have two to one people every week coming. That just doesn't work. We can't do this stuff without actually pursuing it. So some people are doing good stuff. You just need to be consistent now. And consistency builds faithfulness. Consistency builds a remnant. Consistency builds the reliable nature. You don't have to do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you reliable and consistent and faithful. And lastly, fan into flame. I love this. Paul again speaking to Timothy. Fan into flame gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Some of you, Paul here has laid his hands on Timothy 
and prayed a gift into Timothy. Some of you did not have your, weren't, you weren't laid your hands on by Paul, but you've actually been in prayer meetings at different times where someone has prayed something on you and God's done something in your life. Someone wasn't someone laying hands on, but maybe it was the end of that service. Maybe it was that small group. Maybe it was that camp. Maybe it was that conference. Maybe that was that moment that God spoke to you. But that fire has just become like that little pilot light that's hitting your gas water, and you don't realize it goes off until one day you have a cold shower. And so what this says is, Timothy, you've got this gift. For the Spirit God has does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You don't have to be self-disciplined in your own strength. God's Spirit is going to make you self-disciplined, but you've got to want it, and you've got to step into it, and you've got to actually find that fire. You are gifted, and giving gifts by the Spirit, use them. Fan them into flames. Move forward. Set patterns which creates this place where God wants to move through you. God, at this moment, I believe with all my heart, wants to build remnants in the West. He wants to build remnants amongst this time where people are commitment phobic because he wants to move again. And he's seen challenges like this before and he's not going to be beaten by this challenge because this challenge is actually not even that big compared to what other places and times have faced. But this is still a challenge. And so we are at this time, the prayer, and I'll let you in on something, the prayer that I'm praying every single morning is this. God, give red 100 people who are faithful, available, teachable, humble, eager, resilient, and submitted. Give red 100. It doesn't matter if they've got university degrees, where they come from, what they look like, what they do. It doesn't matter. Give red 100 of these. Because this is what God needs to build a remnant. And actually, this then is an invitation to step into this. This is an invitation. This doesn't happen in a moment like this. This is something you've got to actually walk out. So we as a church are going to build around this. We're thinking of different ways. How do we do groups differently when people are less committed? We're not going to make them like every 14 weeks and you just turn up and that's it. We're actually going to look at ways of how we build these values and allow the Spirit of God to actually transform us into what He wants to do at this time. That is the direction we're going. This is an invitation to step into it. And you know what? With Christ, all things are possible. And you can do this. You know why? Because this is actually who you are. Ah, And you see this and you go, oh my goodness, that's so distant from me. Don't believe the lies of the enemy because yourself in the new creation that God has made you on the cross, you can't see it properly right now. So actually got to walk it out. You've actually got to step into it. And you've actually got to worship by stepping into these patterns. We're going to ask the band to come forward now. And we're going to stand. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And the Spirit's already been here and moving. The Spirit is everywhere. But we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and do His work amongst us. So come Holy Spirit now.
Father, I thank you that there are people in this room who want to be that father acronym. We're exhausted and tired of running our own game. We're exhausted by the absolute meaninglessness of secularism which says nothing is sacred when everything is sacred. Father, show us how to use the whole of our lives as worship to you. So Father, what I'm just going to ask now is any of those five things, if there's some stuff that people need to put down, if there's stuff some people need to pursue, if there's stuff that we need to fan into flame or give consistency, Holy Spirit, just begin to do your work.